Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part, a Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons, Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Friesen, and Bill Hostler. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Meet, Act, and Part. This is episode 38, and we are calling it Call to Service. My name is Darren Laners, and my co-host is... Bill Hostler. And as I mentioned this week, our episode is entitled Call to Service. We are basing the title on a column that Bill Hostler wrote for a blog that we both contribute to called The Midnight Freemasons. Maybe you've heard of it and really wanted to kind of pick Bill's brain regarding it because I think it's a fantastic article and it throws out a lot of different ideas that you don't really hear that often in Freemasonry. Well, Actually, what it started out to be was a few years ago, and I've been trying to write this thing for about three years, pre-COVID time. My fiance, she is an executive for a hospital, a nonprofit hospital chain. And this hospital chain, they try to do more than just heal people. What they do is, their philosophy is, is trying to help people, help a community. And as they're helping the people and helping the community, therefore, they're serving God. And we went to a, a retreat over in Branson, and it was like a three or four day retreat in this great big beautiful like medieval castle looking thing it was gorgeous and while she was at this all these seminars and classes and things i hung out at the hot tub and swam and went and had massages and things like that it was tough but i i I did it for her you know i but bill you're a kept man isn't this your normal daily activity well, no, not not so much. Normally, I have to keep the dog. You know, she's better treated than I am. Anyway, one of the night during one of the banquets, one of the senior executives for the main group, they call it the ministry, got up. And he started talking about each individual hospitals and everything they had done, not only to help finance their work by, you know, helping with business, obviously, because they can't, you know, it's not so much making a profit, but they try to, you know, make enough money to keep the whole thing going. But they, how they also do things to help the community and helping other people. And out of the blue, he started talking about there was when he was working in a local hospital, there was a lady who came into him and he said he could tell it. Obviously, she was dirt poor. She lived in this trailer and out in the middle of nowhere. She barely had utilities going. And I found out that she'd been diagnosed with cancer. And the woman, I mean, she was obviously shell-shocked. She didn't know what to do. She didn't have insurance. She didn't know how she's going to handle this. Her family didn't have any money. None of her relatives had any money or her friends. And she wanted to see what if there was anything that could be done. I guess it was just the woman herself or the look on her face or something. But he... He felt something. And so he told her, he says, don't worry. You're going to get everything taken care of. You're fine. And so he made sure that this woman had everything she possibly needed to combat cancer. And it wouldn't cost her a cent. They went through their charity process. And the woman ended up surviving. And as far as I know, she's still alive today. But she's a cancer survivor. Because this man, you know, took care of her. And he said that was what he called his call to service. And he says, everyone here has their own call to service. We all know that because we preach that. And it kind of struck me. And I'm like, 
Later on, I asked Tammy, I said, well, what is this called a service? And she told me, she said, well, she says, it's not a requirement. But each person who works for our hospitals, they ask them to come up with a thing to where you use your God-given talent to try to help in this work, this hospital. Which, if you help in this hospital, you're going to use your passions and your your gifts that was given to you by your creator to do something that's going to help these people recover and live a healthy, healthy and happy life, which in turn is going to help the community. And each time you help these people and help this community, you're serving God. And that just struck me. And I got to think about it. Maybe I'm naive. I just had never really thought about it. But I got to thinking, you know, whenever you think about a hospital, you start thinking about the doctors and the nurses, and they are amazing people, and they do amazing work. I don't think anyone will ever deny that. But then you get to thinking about, there's so many other people in the hospital that the hospital couldn't run without them. There's the janitors who make sure to keep the place clean. And if without them, it wouldn't be clean and it would be you know, it wouldn't be able to, you know, with all the, they wouldn't, it would have infections. They would have all these germs around. They need people who can cook to keep, you know, wholesome food for the patients and for the frontline workers to make sure everyone's nourished and can take care of either their job of healing or their job of being healers. And then you have like the orderlies that make sure each pe- people need to get to go to their testing that they need to go to and get back to their room or the security officers that keep following all of them safe in that hospital, that it really, you know, that old cliche takes hold here. It takes a village. I had never really thought about that before. You just kind of take that for granted when you go into a hospital. And it's really pretty much like that in any walk of life. And I've been trying to come up with a way for like the last three years to write this to where it made sense putting it into into Masonic terms. I knew there was something there, but I just could not find the catalyst to make it work. Well, a few weeks ago, Tammy and I was sitting watching a, a church service on television because of COVID, you know, not, you know, they're pretty much doing it on Facebook Live now. This new preacher, she's a doctor of divinity, and she's been brought into this new local church. And she was talking to him. This church, from what I've gathered, I'm not, I'm new to it. And they were, you know, apparently they've had some problems in their church, and they've lost a lot of members. And she's come in there, and she's trying to build the membership back up to what it once was, or to maybe even make it grow. And she's talking to the parishioners in the church and the people out at home and on the internet. And she said that a few years ago she was put in this church that was just barely hanging on. There's been a, soul, a small group of people who had been keeping this church alive for years. And they were getting elderly, and they were getting tired of doing just holding this thing together. No one was coming to it anymore. They really didn't have that many joiners. And they just didn't know how much longer they could hold on. Well, she went up, and she gave each one of them the test. Everyone who went to the church, she gave this aptitude test. It was It's pretty much, I guess, something that the denomination gives to people just to kind of see where it would be best for them to volunteer and serve. And it was funny that each person that she gave this to in this church was serving in the wrong position. And it really made sense because all these people were burned out, they were tired, and if they were doing things, a lot of times they weren't doing it right. And... It was either driving people off who were new parishioners or they just didn't come anymore or they weren't doing the things it needs to be to build the, the church. And so she went in and talked to the church board and several of the parishioners and she told them her findings. And she said, look, 
This is what I found, and she told each one of them what the aptitude test told them they should be at. And she suggested, maybe we should start fresh, and each one of you maybe fill this role. And they all, no, 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 we're tired, we're getting older, we just, we don't want to do it. And to me, it kind of in my head, said, well, you know, we've always done it this way. And then she said, sadly, within two years, that church closed down. And it's like, wow, this really sounds familiar. And that's kind of what set this in motion for me, was we have so many people in our lodge, and each time we bring in someone, we really don't, we know what they do for a living most of the time. You know, they could either be a a stockbroker, they could be a garbage man, they could be the President of the United States. It really doesn't matter. You know, we are all on one level. That's absolutely true, and I'm not saying anything otherwise. But whenever we get someone in, if we use them at all, if we don't just tell them to sit on the sidelines, keep your mouth shut, and you'll be master in a few years, we stick them in a chair, tell them to memorize something, and in a couple of years, you can be in that chair up in, the, up in the east, and then you can, you know, be ridiculed, and then you'll sit with us and ridicule the next guy. Well, if the guy does go through the chairs... You know, he starts looking when he's senior warden, and a lot of times he's not feeling like he's really ready because sometimes not everyone is really set off to be an, an officer. I mean, if you got a guy who, well, it's like I put in the, in the essay. If you got a fellow who is a stockbroker, and then you make him, as part of his job, as part of the tradition, to make him the chef as junior warden or, like in Texas, the junior and senior stewards, and make him spend a year or two cooking. You know, I mean, he's going to work hard till 5, 6 o'clock at night. He may not even know anything about cooking. And he's not going to want to cook for a bunch of people who chances are going to be complaining about whatever he cooked anyway. And so he's going to run to Costco, grab a frozen lasagna, throw it in there, grab a bag of salad and a big thing of Kirkland's salad dressing, throw it on the table and say, here you go, boys. You're going to eat it with a paper plate and some plastic spoons. Nobody's going to be happy that, you know, he fulfilled his obligation. But if you got a guy, instead of putting him in the, in the, in the line, who is a chef or loves to cook and is good at it, he may not ever want to be a, an officer, but he would love to be the cook in there. Why not let him cook? And if there's several other guys, they can all take turns or they can all work together being a chef for the lodge. You're going to get better food. You're going to have people who are happy because their food's better. They're not going to be spending all the money on antacids. And you got guys who's going to be happy to show up at lodge just to cook. There's a lot of brethren out there who don't like to speak in public. I, we all know several brethren. We all know some who are just scared to death to walk up in front. And it's agonizing them for them enough just to give the lectures just to go past each degree. But then you force them to get up there and you force them to do floor work and you force them to take an office and do open and close. And they don't want to do it. All they want to do is just meet some new guys and have some fun and maybe, you know, get to know some guys. But you're trying to force them to do something they don't want to do. How long is he going to stay? You know, his passion, what he really likes to do other than come up there and meet guys is he likes working with his hands. He's good at heating and air conditioning. He's good at maintenance work. He loves working on buildings and stuff. Why not him? let him work on the building? You know, if he's any good at it. I mean, obviously, if he doesn't know what he's doing, maybe not so much. But, you know, maybe him and several other guys who are all skilled at it, let them do it. You know, I mean, there's just so many things here. We, we tend to not, we tend to p- try to put people round pegs in square holes and just say, okay, well, 
your turn to be master will be pretty soon. We might put you on a committee, and then we're going to argue about the committee. You know, and then when a committee does report, like say if, if you need something fixed, you're going to go up there. We need a $50 chair fixed. We're going to argue about it for the next two hours and talk about how, you know, it used to cost $15 to get a chair fixed in 1957. Maybe we have a brother who owns a, a fix-it shop who will do it for us for free. Instead of just giving these guys the autonomy just to get it done and with a small budget, and if it costs anything more than this, just to get it done. We have to start thinking about this, brethren. I'm not saying like a business, because Freemasonry should never be a business. We all know that. But if we tr- treat, treat it as if it were business, or at least with some common sense, we might have some happier people, and we might actually keep people, and we might, and those people will bring people be masons and everyone will be we won't have a retention problem we might have a problem with too many people coming to try to be masons the petitions might be too much for us to take in in a week bill i like your ideas i think that they're needed ideas i guess let me play devil's advocate uh in a lot of lodges you have a problem with uh, even making quorum so if you've got basically seven guys showing up and it's the same seven guys and they basically are in a situation where you have this in your lodge, it's very difficult to apply these ideas because you basically need everybody in a chair in order to open the lodge and, and do your normal business. So. I guess, what ideas would you have or could you give to lodges that are in this particular situation? No, it makes sense. And it's like I put in the column. You know, there's going to be some lodges that just can't do this. I mean, those kind of lodges like that, it's got the same seven guys, and they've been doing the same seven things for years. You know, they. I asked, there was a lodge in the building I managed for a while. They ended up, at one point, they had six guys who showed up one night, and they couldn't make quorum. They called in the guy who came in, signed the register, then went home just so they had it on the books that they had seven guys there so they could make quorum so they could have a business. And from I never went to attend one of their meetings because they really weren't the nicest bunch of guys. Sad to say. But I guess all they really, they had a lot of money in their treasury, and all they really did was just sit there and scream at each other about money. They were so worried about spending what their little nest egg was that all they did was argue about not spending it. And sadly, from what I... It's what we used to call, back in the day, an old yeller lodge or a zombie lodge. It's like one of these lodges that are dead that just doesn't know it yet. And if you if you got seven guys and it has been that way for years and it doesn't seem like it's going to change, if you don't have any prospects for new members... Or if you get new members and they won't stay, obviously there, there's something wrong. But maybe it's time to consider merging with another lodge or possibly turning in your charger. Because it's obviously, you know, there's something wrong there. And if, you, if you're not going to progress, then what's the point of continuing? You're not doing yourselves or masonry any favor by continuing that. Because it's just, it's kind of like that church. You're tired. You're you're not going to change. You're not going to try new roles. So you're, it's inevitably, sadly, it's not. It's going to be. It's going to be in the cards eventually. So maybe just find a bunch of brothers that you know in another lodge that's close, and maybe just combine with them. 
Yeah, that's a valid point. I've had similar conversations regarding my mother lodge here in, in Illinois because we've not raised a new member in over two years. We have uh, had members that have used to be active but have either moved or have have passed on to the Celestial Lodge and we're down to the nitty-gritty and uh, basically we're we're at uh, we're closely approaching a point of no return where we need to make a decision what the direction of our lodge should be uh, and that being said I've kind of thrown my uh, energy behind trying to rejuvenate the lodge and and we've along with Greg who's also a member uh, are looking at trying to do some things to get some new membership in but at, at, at this point if if this doesn't work i think it's a serious conversation we may have to, to have and it's sad uh but you know to, to your point as well though we do have uh we do have a bunch of different talents in the lodge and maybe maybe it's time to uh <laughs> use a, a lodge education session to give maybe some sort of uh talent evaluation or something like that just to see where the individual member's skill sets are and look at potentially using those skills to uh, the benefit of the lodge meaning that uh, i know that we have uh currently our treasurer and our current virtual master both are chefs at a local restaurant and when they do prepare meals uh usually before degrees they are spectacular and maybe that's something that we look at as using as a their talent to use that as a tool to bring in new membership or at least get guys to come out to lodge say hey travis is his name and fred is the other is our treasurer's name are they're gonna prepare a meal and you know how good their meals are why don't you come out to lodge tonight and and use those abilities of our membership as as you said tools for retention or tools for attraction uh to try to get uh members that haven't been showing up to show up and and or potentially use meals like that to invite potential members to the lodge to you know see what's going on uh case in point uh we had in Homer, Illinois, this past uh, Monday, uh, the privilege of having uh, illustrious brother Steve and L. Harrison give a presentation for us, uh, and um, Robert Johnson of the Once Came You podcast, and also our Midnight Freemasons blog, was there, and we had about, I want to say I counted 20, I think it was 20, was between 23 and 25 uh, guys show up, which for our lodge was huge. We had we had a guy drive down from the Chicagoland area for the presentation. I had a couple guys drive over from Springfield for the presentation. So there were a lot of brothers that put in some mileage just to come see the presentation. But the point <laughs> that I'm trying to make is that we have prospective candidate over there in Homer. And he came to dinner before this particular meeting. And if he didn't walk away impressed, I don't know what's going to impress him, you know, because we had a bunch of guys enjoying fellowship and a, a pretty nice meal. I don't want to break my arm patting myself on the back because I prepared it, but uh, I I went pretty much all out for it and spent uh, a goodly amount of money for that particular lodge to feed the brethren and make it an event. And 
uh, by no means do I consider myself a chef, but I am pretty good at organization and feel, you know, that I was able to put my, my talent and organization to be able to pull this off. And, uh, as a preview of my article tomorrow, I talk all about this particular event tomorrow in the Midnight Freemasons, uh, blog. And so when you Hey, when this airs, when our podcast airs, you'll have already hopefully read this, but uh, one of the things that I am proposing in the article is that it's not that hard for the normal lodge to do. You just find a speaker, you basically get the support of your lodge, or if your lodge won't support it, find a local lodge that'll support it, and go in with them and, uh, you know, pull it off. It's not... I know I'm making it sound a lot easier than it is, but it's not really that hard to do this. And the results, uh, I think, speak for themselves. And hopefully the pictures will reflect what a great time we had and just great fellowship and great education. And it was really probably my Masonic experience, one of the best Masonic meetings I have ever attended. I was raised in November of 2011, so it's coming up on 10 years for me. You know, now that you bring it up, I tell you, it, my lodge in Texas, it's um, Lebanon Lodge 837 in Frisco. It's just outside of Dallas-Fort Worth. And, of course, I wasn't there at the time, but like 10 years ago, well, I think 15 years ago from what I understand, it was in about the same situation. It was just barely hanging on. It was about ready to go under. And I guess that a few of the guys decided, they got together and they said, we don't want to let this go. We want to try one more time to keep this going. And so they came up with a couple of ideas. And in looking back, they really didn't you know, do anything that breaks you know, any mold or anything. They just, they just tried. And some of the things that they do, now we've got the Worshipful Master last week told me that last month, or at the state of meeting the other night, they had 45 guys in the, in this lodge room. And this lodge room is just, it's tiny. It's probably about 10 by 20. I mean, it's not very big at all. It used to be in, 19, in the 1920s, it was a movie theater. What they do is, is every Tuesday night, the first Tuesday is the state of meeting. But every Tuesday night, whether there's a meeting or not, they hold dinner from 6.30 to 7.30. And brethren can come in there for 10 bucks and they can eat. And then it's open to the public, too. So if a lot, of, and we, we let people know that. I have it on our website. And we let in our Facebook page. And so guys will get together and they'll come and they'll talk and they'll spread cement and they get to laugh and they have a good time. And a lot of times we'll go up and we'll have people who's read it on Facebook or read it on the website or we'll have visiting brethren who have heard about it. They'll come and they'll visit and they'll eat with us. And we, you know, they start talking about masonry if it's a prospective petitioner. And they'll go up and we tend to not give them a petition until like they've been coming back, oh, maybe four or five weeks just to make sure they're serious. And we don't want to seem too anxious. We don't want to just like, well, here, here's like three or four petitions. Give them to your friends and family. You know, we tend to, you know, we want to, you know, pretend. Well, not say pretend, but just we want to make sure that they're right for us and we're right for them. And then if there's a meeting that night, we, ret we go into the lodge room. If not, they go home or we have like nights where they read petitions or they uh, do 
proficiency work or whatever needs to be done. And that's a and that's a great it's not only a team building thing, but it also it's a great public relations thing because you know, public you know, the public comes in and they say, Hey, this ain't some place with a you know, alder with a dead um, sheep on it where they've been doing sacrifices. It's just a it's just a little lodge. And we also we started a um a sonic education night where they have they pick a a book every like month and they discuss it and it's like on the fourth the fourth thursday they'll get together and they sit and they talk about the book and they each one gives their opinion they you know come up with some ideas and they pick one that's easily accessible off amazon uh the new worshipful master was just installed last month has come up with it every fourth every fourth or every fifth tuesday if it's you know one of those months he has a family night where they'll pick a place, either a restaurant or a picnic or something or a barbecue, and he'll they'll bring the whole family and they all get to know each other, and that way it becomes more of a cohesive unit, so everybody gets to be friends, and then they might start meeting outside of the lodge room. And be honest, this place is just humping. They you know they they can't seem to get enough um, time to get all the um, petitions in and enough degree work in. And it's amazing what a what a few years will do. And I and I can tell you a story about the reverse too. My mother lodged when I was master, and for the first couple of years, we were tie, tied for number ten for the most new masons brought in that for that few years. Now it's it's uh, merged with another lodge because they couldn't keep the doors open. And it just says, and it's amazing how. This kind of ebbs and flows, just like we see how masonry ebbs and flows. A lodge can do the same thing too, so you don't count yourself out to you, you know, unless you tried everything. But, you know, if it's just the same seven guys who don't really seem to be that creative or want to try, and I guess that's probably the thing. If you want to try and if you want to do it, you could possibly do it. But, and I think too, as I, you know, as long with this call to service, I think also is kind of like that church thing. You know, if you have, you know, so many times people get hooked up and they have to have the Masonic education on Lodge night. You know, and that and the old guys get uptight and, you know, then the, the brothers who want Masonic education, they, you know, they get spoon-fed a couple of things. You know, basically George W. Washington was a Mason and John Wayne was too. And that is enough piece of the past masters and, you know, the, the it just, it really, nobody's happy. But if you could pick another night, kind of like a, quote-unquote Masonic Sunday School, where you could have another night where you get together, maybe at somebody's house or maybe at a local bar where you might be able to have a couple of libations and have a Masonic education session. I think that'd be even better because then you could talk as long as you want. You can talk about what you want. And who knows? You might even come up with another idea for something else on another night. You know, I truly am believing that a Masonic Lodge should be busy every night of the week, well, except for Sunday. But there's not a reason why you couldn't keep this place going constantly with different things. And I think that's part of the thing of, you know, your God-given talents. You know, come up with different reasons, you know, and different ways to keep it going. It's just if you use your creativity and you use your talents, the sky's the limit, just like it is in anything else. Yeah, I will say, though, Bill, that for our Jewish brethren, the Sabbath is Saturday, and also for our Seventh-day Adventist brethren as well. So uh, just swap out uh, Saturday with what Sunday and what Bill said, and we'll cover all our bases there. I mean, I could talk about this for a long time, and I'm probably giving it short shrift, because 
I'm thinking I'm off the top of my head without anything prepared. But I would think that if you were to go up, talk to every member of your lodge, maybe do the aptitude test would be a good idea. Or just go up to them. And this preacher, what she's been doing, she says, is she says, she goes to every member of her congregation. She says, what's your passion? What would you like to do? How would you like to volunteer? And then she takes that information and she tries to formulate a place for you in that law and that, excuse me, that church. I would think that'd be a good place to start for a lodge. Go to a brother and say, what's your passion? What is your talent? What do you like to do? And if a brother says, oh, I like to, I'd like to be an officer. I'd like to be a worshipful master someday. Maybe consider putting him in, into the line. Another one says, well, I really love lit- ritual. Maybe combine a ritual team. You know, I mean, we could have several different ritual teams. You could have one for each degree. You could have one that just gives lectures. I mean, that's easy if there's enough brethren. If another guy says, I like to cook, and maybe start like a kitchen committee. Or not a committee, but a kitchen clan or something. Same way with building maintenance. Or another thing is, too, I'll bet you if you had a group of guys who was really creative and liked to make fundraising things, not just for, you know, giving bikes away or, you know, things like that, but actually come up with fundraising ideas for your lodge and put them to it and let them come up with ways and let them implement it without interceding. They might even be able to enrich your lodge and let them just go. I mean, as long as it's not something that's going to get you in trouble, but let them find their passions, let them operate. Let everybody be a cog in that wheel that keeps masonry moving and keeps your lodge moving. Because I really, truly think that if you let everybody use their passions, you're going to have a, a group of happy masons. And those masons are going to tell their friends who are going to want to be masons. And and I don't want to sound like a multi-level marketing thing, but they're going to tell their friends who are going to tell their friends And I really think that we will have less people quitting, but we'll have more people joining. And I don't see how, you know, if everyone's happy, they're not going to leave out the back door. They're going to be trying to knock on our front door. Yeah, those are some great points, Bill. And uh, let's hope that, uh, let's hope that it's that simple that we, uh, if we can start kind of making the sea change and, and turn the tide, if you will, and start placing brethren in positions where they will be set up to succeed rather than fail, that, as you said, that that'll improve their personal happiness and also their satisfaction with Freemasonry and will then in turn have them by word of mouth bring in their friends uh, into Freemasonry and that we can maybe, uh, I don't know that we'll be able to stem the tide of attrition based upon the the numbers uh, that John Rourke has, has spelled out in many of his presentations, but we can at least, uh, at least we can maybe help uh, plug that hole, if you will. I think maybe not at first, but I think eventually it could possibly be, because eventually, it's going to be kind of like Doctor Who. You remember, I don't know, maybe you don't, but a few years ago, younger Masons used to laugh at wearing fezzes and being a Shriner until Till Doctor Who started wearing a fez. And then all of a sudden, fezes were cool. And so, I mean, it could be like that. You know, once they realize, hey, 
This is kind of, you know, and we've got another National Treasure movie coming out, so it's a perfect time to consider this. But there's one thing I think I did leave out, and it's not a call to service, but I think it's another interesting ingredient that should be thrown in. I don't think Chris Hodak's Lodge does this, but they do do another thing that I think does really help them, because they're another thriving lodge. It's Broad Ripple Lodge in Indianapolis. They have a lot of social events at their building where they involve their wives and kids. I mean, they have things like chili cook-offs, and, they, and it is hilarious. If you think Chris Hodak's funny talking and um, giving him a sonic presentation, you ought to see him at a chili cook-off. It's hilarious. They also have, like, well, there it's like the big rivalries Purdue and Indiana when they played for the old Oaken Bucket. They'll have, like, a, a football game party and down in their basement where they have a big screen TV. And, you know, they all come up there, they watch football, they jab each other, you know, they, they have popcorn, they have snacks. I mean, it's a great football party. And, you know, stuff like that, or they'll even go up and they'll have, like, um, they take, you know, they get like an Xbox or one of those things. They might have like a March Madness party or they might have their own March Madness party with, you know, where you're playing like, you know, like a, a video game NCAA March Madness, you know, where you have, you know, fill out your own bracket type thing all over the, but, you know, if you include fun in that too, I mean, that's the thing we tend to leave out too, besides reading of the minutes. If you were to do all this too, then make sure to include fun and family in this. These days, I think that would also be another ingredient that would really come out to help. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Bill. I think we often forget that Freemasonry should be fun. And uh, one of the things that uh, Illinois does, and it's actually happening this Saturday, is that they do a, a day what they call Masonic Awareness Day, and they urge all the brethren to wear Masonic regalia, basically a polo with the square and compass or their rings or a baseball cap with the square and compass. And that's all well and good, but they should really be trying to make an event of this day and urge lodges to have community outreach program or a fundraiser or uh, or just something for fun like a dunk tank or, or something to uh, also engage the community to show that Freemasonry just isn't a bunch of old guys sitting in a dusty old room doing God knows what. No, I think it's a great idea because I've thought about that for the last couple of years. I thought I wish that people would take that and make it national because it's a great idea, you know, especially when they use the hashtag on um, social media. And I think that they should use social media on that a lot more, too. But, yeah, I think maybe like a, a statewide open house or maybe even try to get the Council of Grand Masters or something to try to encourage their jurisdictions to have like a national open house day or something, or at least just try to get as many as possible. And then, you know, maybe, you know, where the, you know, where I always tend to wear it that day. I try to just because I think it's a great idea. But, you know, like you said, maybe you have an open house, food, dunk tank would be a great idea. Dunk a pass master. I mean, I'd grab a bunch of balls on that. But, um, it, you know, and maybe you'll give the money to charity or something. But the more ideas you come up with that, I think the greater, I mean, because that's the thing. We tend to just put ourselves in a box. And well, we did this in 1952 and it worked great. Well, you know, we could do even more and we could try new things that may not work. But, hey, we tried and we'll try this next year. But you can't never hurt to try something new. And that might actually be a regional a reason to have pancakes that day. Well, let's not go too crazy, Bill. 
Uh, any other thoughts, Bill, before we wrap it up here? No, just, you know, even if these things aren't to be all end all to, you know, if these aren't the savior for masonry, I do believe they are building blocks to help us, you know, at least start repairing our Masonic edifice. And if we were to at least start here, maybe we could build something from it. And it can't hurt to try it. I mean, none of these things here I've said is that radical to where it was. It would be something that we would regret trying later. You know, trying to use people in their best position is not something we will regret doing later. So I would like to say, let's give it a shot. Why not? Yeah, that, uh, I, I agree completely, Bill. Uh, basically, there's an old saying, you can't win if you don't play. So if you're not putting the effort forth at being an active lodge, then you are going to get yourself in a situation where uh, you're struggling to get new membership in and or you're just stagnant. And that's kind of uh, parallels the position that we're currently in at my mother lodge. And... Uh, you know, I guess the impetus is on not only myself, but others to, you know, put forth that effort to try to do some of these things that we've talked about tonight to see if they, they work. So uh, we'll start implementing, I'll start uh, at least trying to implement them and maybe in a couple months report back and see if uh, we've seen any changes uh, in membership or at least member retention or any of that. So Thanks again, Bill, for your time tonight. Thanks for writing that article. I think uh, you said a lot of things that need to be said. To you, our listener, I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to support us, please find us on Patreon and uh, donate whatever you can. Every little bit helps. Well, there is like one more thing I'd like to add to, Darren. I was thinking about this the other day. If you like our show and if you happen to listen to us on Apple Podcasts or I guess or any venue, rate us. Try to give us a five-star review. You know, that'll help people find us. You know, if you hire the, you know, you know if, if, you, if you want to give us a one-star, keep that to yourself. But if you want to give us a five-star rating, do that. Try to give us a good review because the more people that give us a good rating, the more people will see us and the more people we can reach. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Was was that you gaveling? Are we done here? <laughs> Brother, I bring this lodge to a close. Now, <laughs> you know, I'm going to let you do that, Worshipful. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> and uh, once again, thank you for listening to this episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Uh, we hope to see you very soon. And uh, we hope that you have a pleasant evening. Good night now. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show visit our website at www.meetactandpark.com While there please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet Act and Park. <laughs>